Yes. Making a video. Making a video. And then all of a sudden, kids, it was the 90th episode of Rank and Review. Can you believe that? 90 episodes? Here we are. And uh, our regular guest, Lee Beckman, and I are going to discuss six films that are animated, but for adults. That's right, six feature films that are animated, but not intended for children. So it's an interesting and a little bit different episode this week, and I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you have feedback for me, because you can send it to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. As usual this week, you can expect coarse language, and you can expect spoilers for the films being discussed. And without further ado, welcome to Rank and Review, episode 90, Animation for Adults. So here we sit about to set upon episode 90 mm. of Rank and Review, mm. animation for adults. Uh, my guest, regular contributor, Mr. Lee Beckman, thanks mm. for returning yet again to Rank and Review. You and I are both children of the 80s, mm. uh, and for me, I had a special fondness for Saturday mornings. Yes. We, we predate the age of Netflix and the interwebs where you could watch any cartoon ever made within a few minutes of thinking of it. We had to sort of treasure our Saturday mornings. I would get up early and eat like eight bowls of cereal and watch the real Ghostbusters and Dungeons and Dragons and Looney you know, Tunes, Looney yeah. Tunes and uh, all sorts of cool Saturday morning cartoons. And as a result, I've always just, I, I love animation. I've always loved animation. Around the same time, I bumped into the Ralph Bakshi version of Lord of the Rings, okay. which uses a lot of the rotoscoping technology, which two of the movies we're going to talk about, or three of the movies we're going to talk about, use quite substantially. Yeah. Um, and I remember seeing it as a kid and being like almost confused by it. Obviously, I didn't understand how they did the technology. Like, I couldn't believe how different and realistic this animation was. Mm-hmm. But I also was sort of gut-punched and stunned by the level of violence and horror that I was treated to. Because, I don't know if you remember, but Bakshi's Lord of the Rings takes the gloves off. It's not a PG affair. Mm. Uh, So, fast forward. I am no longer in the single-digit age category. I no longer live for Saturday mornings. And if I'm feeling nostalgic for Masters of the Universe, I can (laughs) look it up online. My new sort of craving is animation for adults and by that I don't necessarily mean the way Pixar will will you know engineer a movie like WALL-E or UP to be equally engaging for the single digit category as it is mm-hmm. for the parents and the grandparents who are in the theater with them mm. I mean telling a grown-up story but mm. using the medium of animation mm. it's not a genre it's a medium you can tell any story with animation so why is almost all of them you know directed at the single-digit age category. 
Uh, I wouldn't say they're, direct, they're directed at the single-digit age category. One thing I liked about this particular crop of movies is their stories were all pretty diverse. They're all different from each other. Yeah. Um, they're all very adult stories. Um, you could make an argument that some of them aim for the low barrel and younger age. But um, you could get away with telling you know very complicated, complex stories. With animation, you are limited almost exclusively by your imagination. Yeah. If what you're creating is either on a page or in a computer, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to fly to Tunisia mm-hmm. <laughs> to shoot this sequence. And, and basically any environment you can render and imagine is mm-hmm. yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, it opens all sorts of doors. Mm-hmm. And other cultures have kind of got onto this. Mm-hmm. I remember our mutual frame, uh, acquaintance, Jeremy Cook, and I, mm-hmm. uh, in the 90s and early aughts, were always obsessed with trying to find an, an adult-oriented animation film. And we looked at a lot of these Japanese feature-length animes that are mm-hmm. specifically targeted to adult audiences. Mm-hmm. And we almost always walked away shaking our heads. Mm-hmm. In fact, none of them show up here on this list. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it seems like by adult they mean ridiculous, over-the-top, sadistic violence or basically pornography. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And that's not what I mean by adult. Mm-hmm. I mean this is a story for grown-ups. Mm-hmm. And people think that if it's animated, it's for kids. I've known people that have missed out on amazing things like The Simpsons because they just disassociate. Yeah, it's a cartoon show. Cartoons are stupid. Cartoons are for kids. And this limited worldview is going to cost you because you're going to miss out on seeing some really good movies. But they're not common. They're not typical pieces of cinema you don't often see movies like Waltz with Bashir mm-hmm. or movies like Chicago 10 or even mm-hmm. movies like Renaissance where you know it's it's not just about the visual spectacle they're going to tell you a grown-up story in a very cogent sort of mm-hmm. specific way but instead of having sets and actors it's all created for us yeah I will never understand why it's not more embraced I'll never understand why it's not more popular but um, I will always be a cheerleader for this. So that's where I go in with this animation for adults. Is there anything you would like to say by way of introduction before I introduce these films and we talk about them? Uh, no. Um, I was very excited to do this particular show. I'm a lover of film and all kinds of film. And one particular style of film is animation. There's many stories, both that are for kids and for adults when you come into this particular world. Uh, so I was sort of excited to talk about, we'd done either, you know, cops, action, or horror films, so to talk about a different, it's the same medium, but yeah. it's a, a different style of it, if, if you will. Yeah, I don't know if you could really honestly call many of these horror movies at all. These are, no. They're just adult-focused entertainment, yeah. but it doesn't feel quite as off-boards as some of the other episodes I've done. I mean, I think a lot of people who like sci-fi will like these animated things, you know, who just appreciate a visually impressive movie. Um, the war that happens with a lot of these animations, because most of them look beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, is, you know, is the story good enough? Or do it, does it just have to specifically rely mm-hmm. on being pretty? Because mm. if you're just... I, I mean, and I've had this argument before for movies that I really like. Uh, it's so pretty. I can watch it with the sound off. But yeah. is that saying it's a good movie? <laughs> you know, it's saying that half of it is amazing, right? And uh, I think that's a problem that we may bump into a few times in this episode. All right. So the six motion pictures that Lee Beckman 
and your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons are going to be discussing this episode of Rank and Review. Yep. We have the stop motion animated feature Hell and Back. Yes. We have Richard Linklater's Waking Life. Yes. We have South Park Bigger, Longer, Uncut. We Sounds have like a Jewish Nightmare. Uh, Chicago Ten, yep. which is an interesting rotoscope retelling of uh, sort of the hippie movement and yep. uh, some of the trials that brought about the end of it, arguably. Well, a trial, yes. Yeah. And uh, Renaissance, which is a French sort of pseudo-noir sci-fi picture. Mm-hmm. And we'll wrap it up with the award-winning Waltz with Bashir mm-hmm. from Ari Fulman. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, go. To save our friend! You guys help me find Orpheus, and I'll get you to your friend, Kurt. Hey, you tricked us! <laughs> I'm bad. <laughs> Pretty sure you're gonna die. Take my liver! It's already dead! You travel the path of Orpheus! You guys wanna see my digs? Enjoy your stay in house. Pick up after yourself. Your mother doesn't live here. If she does, she was a whore. Check out my skills, yo. Stuck it. I can leap and fart at the same Alright, here we go. Uh, we have two animated movies this episode that deal with the devil and hell and exploring hell and escaping hell. <laughs> at least in, in, in partial stories. Uh, the mm-hmm. first of which will be this hell and back. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Part of my frustration with this movie being as disappointing to me as it is, is how many really talented people are yes. involved in it. Yes. Um, I think that, you know, Bob Odenkirk is an unsung hero of comedy. Yep. He voices the devil, and I think he's got some good lines here and there, and I always like, you know, the presence of Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. I enjoy T.J. Miller. I enjoy Rob Riggle. Yeah. I enjoy Danny McBride, especially if he's in supporting roles, you know? Yeah, no, usually when you see, you see his name, you're in for at least a chuckle eight or two. Yeah, with the notable exception of, of Your Highness, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think my problem with the movie, you know, in spite of all of these great names and faces, and in spite of the presence of people like Jennifer Coolidge and Susan Sarandon and, you know, voice cameos, is that for an adult feature, this feels very, very childish. It feels very juvenile. Yes. There's so many jokes about pooping and diarrhea and male rape. Yeah, there's a lot of male rape in there. As, as humans. Male rape jokes in this movie that... You know, by the end, I'd had enough. Like, like, at first you could say, okay, it's kind of subversive. Mm-hmm. Ha, ha, ha. They're kind of going there. But then they ring the bell again. And then they ring the bell again. And then yeah. they ring the bell again. And I start thinking, did the guy who write this really have a fucking issue <laughs> with, like, sodomy? Like, yeah. It's not so funny as to be worthy of the amount of screen time it gets. Yeah. But I think it's one of those, a small piece of the problem, but it's emblematic of the bigger picture here. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's... It's an adult movie. It's rated R for good reason. But I think a 12-year-old would love this movie. And that and a grown-up that is half smart would be worn out before the halfway point. Well, it's funny that you mention that because I'm looking at the writers here. Uh, and I hope I'm saying their names right. Tom Giannis, Zeb Wells, and Hugh Sturbakov. Yeah, they've worked with like Tenacious D. Yeah. And they've worked... I kind of got the impression that they had a skeleton of a story. Yeah. And they thought, let's get in some really talented comedians and just let them riff. And there we go. Yeah. And, and that is, you know, the product that you get. It's not a very cohesive story. It's the well, jokes fall flat. Like they're not that funny to begin with. 
Uh, it just seems a lot of a lot of sort of improvised random vulgarity. Yeah, uh, they're trying to, and they advertise this for like the South Park yeah. and the Family Guy set. But the thing about South Park and Family Guy is that they are most of the time. I would say with South Park about ninety percent of the mm-hmm. time, and with Family Guy about seventy percent of the time, satirical. Yes, they are yes. taking a piss out of something. Yeah. It's not just about shock humor. It's about, you know, fucking with your edges. It's about playing with things that are sensitive. And it's about asking tough questions, you know? It's the court gesture. Who's able to make a joke to the king that no one else could, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, truth to power through the filter of comedy. And that is the essential ingredient that Helen Back misses. The story, such as it is, is these two assholes who work at an amusement park they're carnies. Yeah, they uh, inadvertently open a portal to hell. Yes. And uh, one of them, you know, by breaking a blood oath, is damned and sent to hell to be part of a ritual sacrifice done and by And isn't it over, like, gum or something? Over a mint. Yes. Do I have a mint in my pocket? No, I don't have one. Haha, uh-huh. yeah. he broke the deal. And this is supposed to be the hilarious twist that the whole movie turns on. Yeah. But as we've already said, it's not really about the overplot. It's about how hilarious it is moment to moment. Yeah. It's about these whip-crack fast one-liners. Yeah. And, you know, for every one that hits, and I'm not going to say that they all miss, but for every one that hits, five just lay there yeah <laughs> and that like is a not good rate of return yeah you know? and you would sort of think that the topic of hell would be you know ripe for satirizing or taking a piss out of or uh you know something that would induce like a big belly laugh i got a couple of chuckles you know the one gag where everyone's lined up to get food and it, it gives the illusion of either taco bell or pizza hut but they've only got taco bell yeah <laughs> that got a giggle yeah but that's really about it and we've got some heavyweights here in this movie, at least in the comedic writing world, yeah. Bob Odenkirk is no slouch. T.J. Miller is no slouch. Yeah, I don't think they wrote it though. I think they were hired guns. For I voices. know. I'm looking at the writers here, mm-hmm. um, and I, you would like to think that you know if they got involved, they at least had some sort of like creative kick to it. We have one half of Robot Chicken. Yeah, the first two and a half, even three seasons of Robot Chicken, is fucking hilarious. Yeah. Well, Last. it's not as reliant on pop culture references which frankly I'm happy about yeah no, that, I that's kind of fine. hate that everything has to be a wink or a nudge I don't need another spoof on Star Wars or like I, I, no I that's fine but at least th- that shows they've got a sort of a, 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 a critical and a least satirical mind where they can riff off something yeah. like there's so many subjects that you could approach approach with the subject of hell yeah. and make fun of that you don't like you can't transfer that somehow I don't know like I said it really felt like it was just sort of this improvised jaunt of a and then later, they, you know, they did the visuals because it was, it was essential. well, I don't want to say essentially claymation, but that's the, that's the Stop style. Stop motion animation. Yeah. And uh, that's the positive thing that I yeah. will say about the movie. Yeah. I think it looks really cool. It has its moments. I think, that, I think that, you know, for a relatively low budget by an animated feature, mm-hmm. that, the, that the animation does the job well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm immersed enough in the world, I'm not distracted by the world, and I'm not seeing any rough edges mm-hmm. or anything like that. I kind of understand where we are, and they don't break that reality for me at any point. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I I think it's consistently a a sharp-looking world, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it does not have any teeth. It it needed to be about something more. Yes. My other thing, and this is something that I'm just railing against generally in Mm -hmm. comedy now, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm a hypocrite because it's something that I've been guilty of doing stage personas, but your central character being an affable asshole. Yes. 
shows like Archer do this, right? Mm -hmm. Where like Archer, the main character, is a complete son of a bitch, but because he's really good at his job and because he's a super spy, people put up with it. Yeah. But the joke of the entire show is that this guy's an asshole and he says terrible things. Yeah. I didn't like anybody in this movie. Even people that I think I was supposed to like, like the Mila Kunis character. I didn't give a shit about any... Like, mm-hmm. the fact that she put up with these assholes made me think less of her. Yeah. <laughs> right? And there's, like, such sort of, like, condescending, leering... Remy, the guy voiced by Nick Swartzen, yeah. is just this talking ass. Like... Yeah, you know, I've... There's he, only one one comic I've ever found him funny, personally. He's just, um, like, he's self-amused. Like, and there's a few actors who can pull this off. Uh, Paxton Francis and I were talking about Groundhog's Day and how Bill Murray's one of these actors who can play an asshole that you kind of like. Yeah. Like, but it's a fine line to walk. And uh, mm-hmm. it's not here. And the fact is, if there was one or two of these characters, I would sort of take it as that's sort of where comedy likes to play these days. Yeah. That's the, that's the, that's the muck that we're in right now. Yeah. But the fact that it's every character mm-hmm. kills me kills me not everybody needs to be a glib sarcastic ass face and i used to really ride that pony too like i, mm-hmm. I i'm part of the problem but i am fucking over it i don't like that every comic in the world needs to think that they're smugly superior to everyone that they're making laugh i don't like that he constantly treats his best friend like shit and yeah. that, that that that's there's just no one relatable or even any sort of character that sort of comes close to real no sort heart of... no heart anywhere in the yeah. movie uh, so you don't have any edge. You're not saying anything political. There's no satire. Then all you have left is basically the gags, the one-liners. Yeah. And like we've already discussed it, this is PP on the potty stuff. This is stuff that would make a kid in grade five shoot milk out of his nose, yeah. but make a person who is forty kind of feel ashamed for watching it. Yeah. It does not bring me back to that sweet, awesome place of being in Saturday morning. But I think it was sort of it was trying to cater at least to the sort of Adam Sandler fans. But even the Adam Sandler fans have sort of kind of like, okay, enough, done. The sort of you know laughable, stupid, goofy. And I don't want this to be about a PC thing. I don't care that you're making rape jokes. I don't care particularly. There are way too There's many too many of them, but that's not, not necessarily yes. the thing that bothers me with. I think comedy is one of the few things where the gloves should be allowed to come off. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it, so this isn't like, how dare they go there? It's just like, no, uh, I don't think you went far enough. I don't think you, like, it's all about pooping. Yeah. It's all about It's kind of boobies. funny. There there it's are two movies in this list that their bread and butter uh, is the cheap vulgarity boyish humor. And one of them is brilliant. One of them is funny. <laughs> <laughs> one of them not so much. Yeah. It's it's really sad to say that this because I was all I was all in reading up about it. Yeah. Thinking, okay, here we go. And crickets. Really, just crickets. Um, That's me. Like, I think that if you have like a kid in your life, if your 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 nephew is like yeah. thirteen years old and you want to score points with them, <laughs> not even that. Not even that. There are other sort of cheapish, immature, vulgar movies that you could show him where are both shocking and there's some some intelligence to it. Yeah. Uh, this one will should be just forgotten in the antheons of. It animation. really does feel like it was one of those movies that was dead on arrival. Yeah. It came, it was on video directly. It was supposed to be released in October and then nothing and then it came just sort of, it, it opened in like late November in a couple of theaters and then disappeared and rightly so. I mean, it's a, 
vapid mess of storytelling. It's that sucks though because I have to believe that there are people who oh, put yeah. their heart and soul into this, especially when it comes to animation. Like mm-hmm. every second is sweated over to some degree, and that's why the script here is so important. I'm just sort of suspect that there was, you know, pen to paper with that story. Anywho, anything else you want to say about? No, I think the further we get away from this, the better. Basically, Uh, Bob Odenkirk as the devil gets you a few laughs. There's a couple one-liners there and there, but it feels long at 85 minutes. Yeah, it is a tedious effort. Your life is yours to create. Yeah, maybe I only exist in your mind. Still, just as real as anything else. It seemed like I'd walked into an alternate universe. You haven't met yourself yet. I want real human moments. I'm not in an objective, rational world. I'm just trying to get like a a sense of, of where I am. Just wake up. Do you remember me? It's like I'm being prepared for something. You a dreamer? Yeah. I don't see too many around lately. So Richard Linklater is a really fascinating filmmaker in a lot of ways. Yep. He's insanely prolific, and he has got a couple of out-and-out classics under his belt. belt. Yep. Um, I thought Boyhood was very, very strong. Mm-hmm. And uh, as much as I like it, I'm of the unpopular opinion that Dazed and Confused, as enjoyable as it is, is maybe a little bit overrated. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think it was the right movie at the right time, you know? 70s nostalgia was at its peak, and it was the kind of the movie that everybody wanted. It's a hangout <laughs> movie. It's one of the best hangout movies. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, I will check out the next Richard Linklater movie, and uh, one of the reasons is is that he will make movies as bold and as experimental as this, as well as movies He's as got a very also awesome divul- as, as uh, diverse uh, filmography. Yeah. He will make a movie like Days of Confused, and yeah. he will also make a movie like Waking Life. Yeah, or, well, or School of Rock, or Bernie. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else this man, Tape. Yeah. Like he's all, he he will he's prolific and he does not necessarily have any interest in repeating himself. One one director that he is is this is this is a man that likes to hear people talk. If there's any sort of sort of, sort of consistent thread throughout his movies is that he enjoys listening to the art of the conversation. A lot of his movies are really just elongated conversations. Yeah, whether the it's whole... the the before sunrise sunset series. Yeah. Um, there is Everybody Wants Some, there's Days of Confuse, there's even, even Bernie is elements of that. It's not that he can't do a more story-driven uh, movie, much like you know his remake of Bad News Bears, or even School of Rock, for example. But this is a filmmaker, on the most part, and this is part of his independent roots, is this is a man that loves the art of the conversation. And in a lot of ways, that's what Waking Life is. It's a series of conversations and sort of neat little events all linked together and a very sort of skeleton. I don't know, skeleton, that script is even being generous. It follows the same logic of a dream, and that yes. is what the whole movie is. Like, I remember talking to you before we record, like, I'm not sure how I'm going to do a plot breakdown on Waking Life yeah. because there really isn't one. It's and when I say minute. that this is a plotless movie, people are going to go, oh, great. Yeah. I don't think there's another filmmaker that rides the line between indie filmmaking and commercial filmmaking 
uh, other than maybe Steven Soderbergh, mm-hmm. where they can you know do one for me and then one for the uh, for the box office type of deal and mm-hmm. make both of those very watchable mm-hmm. movies. Um, okay. So, I bravo to that. Mm-hmm. Stepping into Waking Life, um, what I find uh, incredible about it. Rotoscoping animation mm-hmm. and just like the look of it, uh, I, I find really pleasing. It's very busy. All of the images are constantly in movement, especially when they're, the, the frame is moving. Mm-hmm. It's got this dizzying, almost disorienting at times, shaky camera Blair Witch quality to it. Yeah. And some people find it taxing in that respect. Uh, I didn't. I, I always found it really. No, pretty. your eyes can't take. You can't take your eyes off the screen, yeah. especially with the background and even sometimes the foreground, with just the kind of style of animation where it's trippy. Yeah. I mean, I don't, like I've heard people say it's a sort of trippy movie, yeah. and uh, I get it. Like that, a lot of drug hallucinogen fans would probably get get behind this movie. Yeah. But it's not about drugs. It's not a drug movie. It's no. about trying to blow your mind. And while they're trying to blow your mind with all of these philosophical philosophical arguments and yeah. all these dreamscapes you're uh, you're being hit intellectually mm-hmm. as well as visually by mm-hmm. one of the purest forms of art that i can sort of you know say no it's not a typical movie in fact it's a very atypical movie but that's why i kind of love it it's very very original i i can't i can't quite what other movie could you may, maybe sort of qualify this or link it or, or even reference reference it to yeah um it's a fairly original piece I do think its strength are also some of its flaws because story-wise, this is, like I said, as I said before, just a whole series of conversations, some of them very, very interesting. Yeah, they sort of link together and then there's just, you know, some beautifully done monologues or scenes where it's almost like the different id of this character. Uh, uh, one thing that's really sort of, an, it, at least the idea was intriguing to me, is when he runs into that woman that he sees early on, and she tells him the idea of the soap opera, and his response was, "Well, how can well, I think how can that be? You know, how does it feel to be a person a person in my dream?" And then she doesn't answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that it's acknowledging that there's an existential world that we're very busy in, mm-hmm. um, and that maybe maybe we can control, maybe we cannot. What happens when we die? She says that we keep on dreaming. That's a sort of novel idea brought to visual life and use it almost as a story element in a lot of ways. And it's an idea that I find comforting and in a way more comforting than the sort of prospect of a heaven or hell or a soul going on forever. Mm -hmm. If it's asleep and if in that sleep we paint ourselves pictures to entertain ourselves, you know. Um, I like that as an idea. I'm not saying I'm on board with it. Um, But that's what this movie is, is a series of deep ideas. And uh, it is arty. And uh, if if, if you're resonant against that, then you may find it uphill. The only shank that I have against this movie, I think, Mm -hmm. is in the controversial figure of Wiley Wiggins. He doesn't even have a name. He's called the main character. Yeah, he's essentially an everyman narrator. And the good news is that he says almost nothing in the movie a lot of it is him being spoken to by these dream images and him just taking stuff in but i've never been impressed with that actor in fact my big issue with dazed and confused is wiley wiggins Mm -hmm. constantly rubbing the bridge of his nose and looking exasperated and not doing anything close to a performance Mm -hmm. it's the same thing i've seen every time i've seen that kid and happily i've seen less and less of him as -hmm. the years have gone by I hate to be mean, but Wiley Wiggins looks like a cool 90s alt kid, mm-hmm. but he's not an actor. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, so 
considering that the movie is anchored by someone who I don't really have a lot of respect for as an actor, uh, the fact that everything is beautiful, and the fact that everyone around him is talking at him, it's yeah. almost like a Neo role. It's like uh, mm-hmm. uh, Keanu Reeves in Matrix. He just goes from person to person and is given more information, and he just takes it in and takes it in. Yeah. Um, it's almost like a series of like national film board shorts, like yeah. that we used to see in, in Canada, where not they they're not always hugely related to each other. Or does it seem like it? But it follows this dream logic. In a dream, a guy can drive up to you with a car that's actually a boat and ask to give you a Which ride, is... and you get into the car and you and you don't question it, right? Yeah. And that's exactly what happens in the movie. Yeah. And it follows that dream logic. It doesn't make any sense that there's a boat car and that the guy would just drive up and offer him a ride and that he would take it. But yeah. all of those things happen and we take the ride because we're in dreamland too. Apparently, um, that's also like, like that ca- that character in that boat is from another documentary. Oh, uh, so he's a real. Lot he's of a real person. We're basically what this guy used to do is drive around with that boat and made a documentary about it and so now he has entered this sort of rotoscoping type animation just to sort of further this dream logic idea along if you will this guy is going on a journey here's our main narrator here we go but Um, just the way things suddenly like the needle will jump we'll be in the middle of one conversation and then we'll cut to Wiley walking in a train yard and then some guy will jump out and say you look like a dreamer let's have a conversation and he doesn't question it so neither do we we just keep going with this dream. it's a very very fractured narrative there is no narrative that's yeah. sort of my point <laughs> yeah it's a showcase really for this style of animation mm-hmm. um and that's great for i'd say 80 minutes but you could easily cut out 10 to 15 minutes of this movie and no one would be the wiser well, and that's, that's the sort of gamble you take when you do this style of movie it's true. Like I hear what you're saying. You could cut like any random ten minutes out of this movie, and yeah. it, it necess- we wouldn't necessarily know to miss it, right? Yeah. But uh, I kind of treasure the like. I wouldn't. There's not a lot of scenes that I'd say I wish that wasn't there. You know. I think that it's another movie. Uh, Jeremy and I reviewed a movie like called VHS. Yes. Where I think that it's almost better to take in in installments. I think that if you watch VHS front to back, it'll just like be so much that it's kind of hard to take in. Yeah. But if you watch a couple segments and then take a breather, and then watch a couple segments and then take a breather, yeah. that it'll work better for you. I think that that might be an argument to be made for Waking Life, which is a point against it. Like you should be able to just sit and watch. And the that's movie. why I can't rank it all that high in yeah. this list. Like I said, its strengths are also its flaws. The fact that. This is more, like I said, a showcase of this style of animation with a lot of existential or meaningful conversations with a threadbare narrative, and I say that generously, um, makes it... It's geared for the art house crowd market, really, in a lot of ways. And, and, and I love it for it. But the art the house same, and the pothead market, let's be well, clear. That's part of it, but also, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, the educated, the um, academic crowd. And this movie takes place really in Austin, Texas, which is a university city. Yep. So you get the sort of usual characters, you know, experts in their field, otherwise as professors, sort of bitter master students and just crackpots, all yeah. having conversations about things that intrigue them and interest them. Um, and that's... He kind of reminded me of Saskatoon a little bit, actually, <laughs> in some sort of ways, which is also similar, similarly uh, a university city. But it's also, in a weird way, a return to his roots. Like, it was shot practically mm-hmm. the same way he shot Slacker, which yeah. was the prototypical, the, the sort of original indie hit. Yeah. 
Linklater was Kevin Smith before Kevin Smith. You, mm-hmm. you, you know, like Kevin Smith sort of looks to Slacker as his clerks. Yeah. You know, uh, so he's a very influential filmmaker, and it's cool that he shot it in the same cheap way that he shot Slacker, but was yeah. able to turn it into this beautiful thing. Yeah. Where I'm going to push back a little bit against your idea of the fragmented narrative taking away from the overall mm-hmm. is that he really enjoyed the rotoscoping process. And yes. as a result, he did another film called The Scanner Darkly, I, I, which very much has a through line narrative and yeah. a very good one. Yeah. And honestly, I have a hard time deciding which of the two movies I like more. And I think if someone put a gun to my head, I would say Waking Life. Well, because it's ambitious and because it's deep and because it's serving us deep, difficult philosophy in mm-hmm. this beautiful a package as it can. And if you get swept up in it, I think it's it's quite a unique experience. Well, I sort of take it. Uh, well, I'm glad that you mentioned a scanner darkly because I really do think they're the sort of yin and yang of each other talking about another world that's existing. One has a more playful, pos- positive uh, you know, examination of it, which is, of course, Waking Life, where a scanner darkly is really sort more of... Exa- nihilism, yeah. Well, paranoid, dark, and and dreary in a lot of ways. Um, so in that way, I do think there's sort of like a yin and a yang of each other, both talking about a world that's beyond the one that they're currently exhibiting. Also about identity in a lot of ways. You know, I love the fact that he fell in love with this medium, medium and played with it for a while. You know, he wanted to get something out of him uh, using this style of filmmaking. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I like it, this is just a random quote pulled off of the IMDb. I'm not taking this from memory. But um, I'm afraid we're losing the real virtues of living life passionately in the sense of taking responsibility of who you are, Mm -hmm. the ability to make something of yourself and feel good about life. Mm -hmm. The fact that that idea is even expressed, even in a sort of random cobble, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's just one line. There's 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 dozens of lines like that that will hit you. The one that's always stuck with me in this one, too, is... uh, the, that that whole sinister sinister guy who's very cynical about the government process and says, yeah. and what are you given in exchange for your complete admi- admission to uh, the powers that be? The completely symbolic gesture of voting for the puppet on the left or the puppet on the right. It's a profoundly upsetting idea, but I heard it from Waking Life, and I don't think I would hear it anywhere else. This movie, when it was first released, it was interesting. It's almost like North America needed this uh, after because this was released two thousand one, soon after nine eleven, and it's a, and I love the fact that it's a very hopeful movie. It's a very loving movie. There's lots of you know great scenes that like this movie stayed with me long after I'd seen it again. Um, I love the scene between and it's the same characters from Before Sunrise Sunset. Yeah. Um, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. Yeah, their whole conversation. I just love the conversation they have uh, in bed together. It, it, it sort of it, it stumbles upon the idea of reincarnation, and and how f- and the idea of that is sort of faulty because basically the, the idea of reincarnation is that there's only a number amount of souls. Yeah, you're getting you know you're using bodies as vessels. Well, then how come our population is increasing at exponential you know speed? Yeah. You know, we're like at least twice the size we were almost. Ten years ago, but the, the movie's not short on these deep metaphysical I know, thoughts. I, I mean, know. they're they're all over the place, but I, I love it for it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like I said, this movie, a lot, of, a lot of the ideas it throws at, the ones that sort of stick, you know, you really start to sort of contemplate. And there's a few times where the the main character seems to challenge his dream or even call his dream, and then, yeah. aha, well, 
you're just a person in a dream. So yeah. what does that mean? Yeah. I'm like, maybe I'm a person in a dream, but this is the reality that we're sharing right now. So yeah. Yeah, this but, is the moment. This yeah. is reality. And then, then how then did she come up with that whole soap opera idea story kind of thing? And is it his? Yeah. Is it truly his kind of thing? Yeah. And again, I've had the similar thought. I remember I had a dream. I was at some version of the fringe or massive street fair. Yeah. And I was walking in a crowd and I was watching this guy play a guitar and yeah. sing. And he was singing this amazingly intricately, like lyrically strong song that I couldn't begin to repeat to you, mm -hmm. but that was connecting with the crowd and with me. Yeah. And I remember having this dream and then waking up and then thinking that did my brain just build that song? Was the song real? Was it actually just gibberish? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And again, this is the shit that, that waking life taps into. Yeah. And if that's going to put you to sleep, I guess I will say avoid it. But if that's going to blow your mind, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like uh, waking life's here for you. Yeah. Well, and this idea of this existentialist netherworld yeah. is a dreamscape. He starts panicking in that he feels like he can't wake up. He keeps on thinking. I know that that was actually a pretty terrifying <laughs> idea to it. Well, it's funny because that's an anxiety that a lot of like drug people deal with apparently. Yeah. <laughs> like it's never gonna end, man. I'm yeah. gonna be like this forever. Never. <laughs> but uh, I think that you, if your subconscious is basically you being forced to confront yourself or who you yeah. are or what you are, and if at the end of life, yeah, uh, you just you just completely relegated to your subconscious yeah then this waking life world that we see pieces of could just go on and on indefinitely for yeah. wiley wiggins yeah and it's both heaven and hell and everything but in this dance that this this cosmic whatever that he's experiencing yeah all of life's mysteries will eventually be answered for him that's maybe what waits us when death comes well, I, I it's like... a comforting thought right yeah yeah <laughs> that it will all someday make sense somehow yeah that's very warming and loving and hopeful. Um, I want. I don't know if we talked enough about just the imagery portrayed. It took thirty different artists to paint all of this. Yeah. Um. Uh, like a piece of film at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's so the the commitment to to crafting this this picture was probably great and vast. The fact that it's very original. Here's the frustrating thing. And that's all part of because, and I said this earlier, its strengths are also its weakness. And that only, uh, I think, a small section of our world population would truly at least understand some of it and enjoy it. Well, you know, I think of people like my father, who at least need some sort of strong structure of a story, yeah. who would just kind of go, no, I get it. I can understand how people would find this frustrating and meandering. Yeah. I'm like, I'll... I'll do respect with love and respect to the late great Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Um, some people didn't get Leonard Cohen. Yeah. They just didn't get it. His voice was too low. The songs were too long. The songs were too sad. Yeah. And my answer to this would be the same thing that I would say to people who would walk out of waking life. I get what you're saying, but you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bold, bold words. <laughs> the fact that it, it, it alienates a certain amount of viewers. I think has to be a, a sort it of hurts not. It, a little bit. It, it, it does. And then you and I have both admitted that usually, you know, this movie takes at least two sittings. You mm -hmm. have to stop at, at some point. Yeah. So that that's where I'm kind of like, it's so good and thought provoking and beautiful to look at. And it is. I'm not saying it is, but the fact that there's this, like, it, it will alienate a good portion of our population who just struggle to get it. Yeah. And it's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. And that's just one of the criticisms for it. 
Um, the story, like I said, is, is just a mere skeleton, but it's also a beautiful story. Um, it's also some rage in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and there's sort of meandering scenes. There's one in, involving a guy in a car doing, you know, sort of shouting his manifesto. Literally through a bullhorn. Yeah, yeah, his manifesto, only realizing that the streets are empty and he's been talking to no one for a long time and realized that's, uh, that's kind of a nightmarish idea. Yeah. But the other one where it's in this jail cell, and it's almost like I've had that conversation with myself. Maybe not so much to that amount of racial rage, right. um, but just sort of that, you know, these moments of, alone of being so angry and spouting vitriol. Yeah. And the, the idea to paint his face red is another scene that has another scene of anger. The gun scene. Yeah. Dear God. <laughs> well, and again, you're just not setting there's this sudden explosive yeah. moment of violence, and the movie yeah. has not been about that. And much like the logic of the dream, as soon as it happens, the needle skips and we jump somewhere else. Yeah. It's not, it's not made clear. I love, I love the fact that you use classical music, the cellos and everything. I oh, the that... quartet was a nice touch. Yeah. yeah. But again, it's another one of those things that will take people, either draw them in or take them out. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. just a string quartet banging away for basically the whole movie. Yeah. And this beautiful, beautiful animation. And this deep existential philosophy. <laughs> so if this sounds like something that would be awful for you, maybe it will. But I encourage you to give it a shot. And if Canada does legalize marijuana, we may see a resurgence in popularity of waking life. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. I don't want, like, I'm sure some people who engage in that sort of activity, um, you say, yeah, man, you know, you get to go up and, and also watch this. This they movie is... They fall asleep. Yeah, that, there's that. But it's there's so many complex ideas that I would say, don't go to it like that at least once. Like, just sort of take it all in because there's a lot of thought-provoking conversations and visuals that go on, uh, on in this movie that you really have to pay attention. I ask of you what the movie uh, is asking the character to do with himself. Just, just give it a fair, honest look. Yeah. In the movie, Wiley Wiggins is taking a fair, honest look at his subconscious. Mm -hmm. And all I'm asking the listeners to do is give one fair, honest look at Waking Life. Yes. Yes. Okay. Kyle Roslovsky. This is sweet. Stan Marsh. How do they come up with this stuff? Eric Cartman. That movie has what? My fragile little man. Kenny McCormick. Chef. Have you ever heard of the Emancipation Proclamation? I don't listen to hip-hop. Satan. Is sex the only thing that matters to you? Yeah! I love you. And Big Gay Al. You big Philly. <laughs> on June 30th. Throw the switch, Mr. Garrison. Hey, I'm supposed to be anonymous. It's not just another day in the park. Son, we accidentally replaced your heart with a baked potato. You have about three seconds to live. <laughs> South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Tell him we'll have punch and pie. We're not gonna have punch and pie. My bill will come if they think we have punch and pie. Ooh. We've got to see this movie, dude. So it is time for me to once again talk about the creative genius that is Trey Parker and his creative partner Matt Stone. Do you know that that, that South Park has been on for 20 years? Yeah. That's, that makes me feel old. There's a museum now dedicated to, ironically, the artwork <laughs> and everything South Park. That, that, that in itself is, just seems so ironic since the animation is so crude, but... The satire that we're going to deal with and the level of both <laughs> profanity and just like explicit offensive material that we're going to see yeah. is right through the roof. But unlike the movie we talked about earlier in the podcast, Hell and Back, yeah. uh, there's, a there's a real method and message to this madness. Yeah. It's not just about saying forbidden things and snickering. Yeah. It, it's got a real agenda. 
Yeah, and I, I know you just said South Park's 20 years old. Uh, it, it blows my mind that this movie came out in 1999. Really? 1999, I believe yeah. that's right. It's the uh, That was the year of just every movie that came out in 1999. It was just a ridiculously good year for movies. Um, the boys from South Park, who up until this point, when we watched them on TV, had been bleeped. Yeah. Uh, so we weren't used to hearing them use this explicit language yet. I think that was part of the original punch. Uh, they really? Get to see... I, th- I, th- I thought they could drop all kinds of bombs on... Before 1999, when this came out, yeah. when I watched them, they were bleeped. Uh, really? Comedy Central has been giving them more and more elbow room the deeper yeah. into the show they got. Yeah. But I remember the boys go to see their first R-rated movie. It's yeah. the Terrence and Phillip movie. Yeah. And they actually hear all of these real profanities. Yeah. And as soon as they come out of the theater, they're like, yeah. that movie was fucking awesome! Us. Yeah. It was... But reaming awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. the most fucking amazing yeah. thing I've ever fucking seen. And they just start doing what kids do. Yeah. Parroting what they see. Yeah. And the thing. But there was something so shocking about actually hearing it. When you heard the beep on yeah. the TV show, it was like, ha ha ha, yeah. kids square. Yeah. But when they started singing, <laughs> the Uncle Fucker song, <laughs> like, it's beyond subversive, right? Like, this movie is screaming at you. Yeah. And I'm okay with the movie screaming at me as long as they have a point. Yeah. And much to the credit of the creators of this film, yeah. South Park is both hilarious and absolutely satirically astute. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I think Matt Stone and Trey Parker will never be accused of being something like Jonathan, Jonathan Swift. But they, they do, should be, as far as I'm concerned. But they do. They are one of the greatest satirists of the least the '90s of just that say sort greatest of greatest satirists. Honestly, no, I, I don't know. I don't want to give it that statement quite just yet. Just because they work blue doesn't mean they're dumb, man. I'm, well, I I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> do I agree? There's a lot of things they really stick it to it. People have to also go back in time that this was the decade Bill Clinton was coming almost to an end. Yeah. Um, but uh, Al Gore was the vice president, and who Saddam was, Hussein was still alive. They yeah. had to kill him off for him to be in hell in this movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. he was, and, and you know, Saddam was alive and well, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, and he's had a couple of years, at least, well, well beyond that. But um, you have to remember that Al Gore was vice president. Tipper Gore, uh, in the '80s, uh, started that whole censorship against the, the Friday the Thirteenth, the slasher films, the heavy metal music. She was huge into censorship. She started beating this drum again, and at this point we'd had Natural Born Killers, we'd had Pulp Fiction, like films. A lot of people were saying were getting really wildly out of control with a depiction of sex and violence and profanity. Right. And we have to put a stop on this for the good of the children. Yes. Yeah, so there was a second sort of rise of censorship, and they put a lot of pressure on the studios because um, they released a lot of this content. Uh, to what we get now is like on the movies explain what sort of material. Uh, is in what gives it the you know the R the PG thirteen rating, um, and we saw almost a, a, well I guess a rise of censorship in a lot of ways. This was almost like a slap back at it. Well, South Park is that the yeah. like I do believe that Trey and Matt are big big believers in free speech. Yes, um, I don't think that they're personally going to war on this. I think they want to make a funny musical, and this movie is a musical. I know, <laughs> I know, and and I think that's its saving grace in a lot of ways. That's what's a sort of made it very grand theatrical, and but also keeping their sort of witty sense of humor. Like, oh my god, <laughs> this uh, and Book of Mormon would be a great double bill. Well, and uh, Jeremy and I reviewed Cannibal, a musical. Yeah. Obviously, Trey Parker does like writing songs, and he does have a gift, just particularly lyrically. Yeah. <laughs> he's very strong. Yeah. Um, and 
this movie was nominated for an Oscar yeah. for one. Let's go back to the plot because we're talking about everything but the movie. Yeah. Um, the two main stories is the boys are so corrupted by this movie that the parents sort of have to decide yeah. to do something about it. Yeah. And in true sort of political fashion, they need to point the figure at somebody. It's not the parents. It's not the kid's fault. It's yeah. some outside influence. And absurdly, because Terrence and Philip was a Canadian-made film, they decide to memorably blame Canada. Canada. I know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's great satire. This is exactly the sort of shit that we see happening all yeah. of the time. Yeah. It's, it's because of heavy metal. It's because of violence. It's yeah. because they saw a titty on TV. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So we have that very good, astute thing going on. Yeah. And then we have a subplot of a set in hell. Kenny's died, as he does in every episode so far, <laughs> and he goes to hell where he gets weirdly tangled up in the love story. Triangle. <laughs> Tri love. No, maybe not. No, not it's triangle. A love story between Satan, Satan and Saddam Hussein. In this universe, Saddam Hussein was eaten by wild boars, and he's now in a very graphically sexual relationship <laughs> with Satan. And it's kind of funny how, like, Saddam Hussein is a way bigger asshole than Satan. And Satan's just this huge bitch. He's just like... He's this... sensitive. Yeah. No one understands Satan. Like, he's really almost betrayed sympathetically. Yeah. So we have these two things going on back yeah. and forth on top of astoundingly hilarious musical number yeah. after astoundingly hilarious yeah. musical number. It gives and fires on all cylinders. Yeah. My best memory of that song being performed is Robin Williams singing it at the Oscars in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a, a nice touch. It was It was nominated. It was a nomination just for the movie. Like, they yeah. basically nominated the cleanest song because they yeah. couldn't sing Go and Fuck Yourself, Uncle Fucker, <laughs> at the Oscars. <laughs> You're a boner-biting bastard, Uncle Fucker. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> There's also... They could do What Would Brian Botano Do? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but Kyle's for, Mom's a Bitch? I, that's probably my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I really mean it. <laughs> I do want to say the character of Cartman... Yes. ...might be one of the greatest villains in, like, cinematic television history. Like, he's up there with fucking Hannibal Lecter as far as I'm concerned. Already? Cartman is one of the fucking worst, evil, despicable characters ever invented. He just happens to be hilarious on top of it, but he is so awful. But he really gets put to the coals in this movie. I always love Cartman's <laughs> suffering. I never, ever feel bad for Cartman. Like, this is a guy in the series who was selling... <laughs> aborted fetuses to Chinese restaurants as shrimp, okay? Like, there's no horrible thing that Cartman wouldn't do enthusiastically, okay? I know, I know. So, no. I know, I agree. We don't feel bad when he gets that chip implanted whenever he's But the fact that the most evil character they've ever created is this seven-year-old kid. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm gushing. I, obviously, if you're listening to this, you can probably tell I'm a fan of the show. Yeah. And uh, obviously, if you're a fan of the show, you're going to be a fan of the movie. Yeah. If you're not a fan of the show, I can sort of see like you being kind of mystified by it. I, if you have a little bit of a funny bone and you're not easily offended, I can't imagine you not finding something to laugh at here. Yeah. But 
the animation is weirdly crude. And they even make a joke reference in And that. the voices are all fairly spazzy and similar, yeah. right? Like, yeah. there's something almost self-consciously yeah. cheap-looking about South Park. Yeah. But it, 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 it has its own aesthetic, it has its own world, and it's managed to retain an audience for 20 years, so they're obviously doing something right. Yeah, no, they do have a legion of fans. Um, I, I do love that story that we read about when the movie first came out, where obviously the MPAA was <laughs> tried, was all over this movie yeah. because it was calling them out. Uh, and one of the things they had to trim was part of the love scene between Satan and Sedan. <laughs> uh, apparently it was quite graphic. <laughs> so the boys, mystified and, and, and slightly perturbed, did the polar opposite and made it, in their eyes, much worse. And I probably have to agree with them just a little like, bit. It's one of those things where they just turn off the lights and yeah. you hear stuff. Yeah. And what you imagine is far worse than yeah. anything they probably could have come yeah. up with. But just the sheer amount of penis in that, that whole sequence. Well, just like <laughs> the fact that the movie is called Bigger, Longer, Uncut. Yeah. Like even the title is pissing in your face, right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, I want to talk about one character in this movie that uh, I don't know why I just always thought was hilarious. Like I wish that he hadn't died in the movie so he could be a regular on the South Park TV show, the mole. <laughs> the mole. <laughs> he's sort of like the leader of the French Resistance, <laughs> yes. but he's a little kid who lives in South Park for some reason. But he's grounded. <laughs> I cannot participate. I am grounded. Yeah. Though I die, the revolution. <laughs> I can't even adequately describe why I think that kid is so fucking hilarious. But I just love the fact that even after Cartman was walked, he forgot to flip the switch. <laughs> and that's he is captured. Just oh. upping the ante. Like I said, uh, when the kids are swearing in the classroom and Mr. Garrison calls him on it, instead of saying sorry or stopping swearing, yeah. Cartman whips out a literal bullhorn and says, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Suck my balls! <laughs> and to me, that's sort of what Matt and Trey were doing with this movie. Yeah. They were saying, everybody, suck my balls! Don't tell us what we, don't, what we can or can't do to make you laugh. Yeah. Don't tell us what's, you know, too far. Yeah. We're just going to make this crazy movie. And it's a stupid, satirical, animated, like crude show yeah. and uh you can laugh at it and it can make you think a little bit but yeah. if you're gonna get angry about it if this is gonna piss you off if this is gonna send you reeling yeah. you know uh the problem is not matt and trey the problem is you oh okay okay that's my opinion all right there's so many classic songs now that <laughs> you shouldn't be humming down the school hallway <laughs> because that would be bad form um, but I, you know, even like Mountain Town, which is like a sort of Gershwin sort of tip of the hat, who would probably be in his grave going, uh, but, uh, you've got, of course, Kyle's mom's a big fat, <laughs> <laughs> what would Brian Botano do? Blaine Canada is so addictive. Oh, I'm fabulous. Up there? Uh, it, up there where Satan has the big number of, yeah. I want to be up there. Yeah. <laughs> it's this big fucking number. Uh, 
obviously they're really well versed in musical theater. Yeah. Obviously they're politically savvy. I'm super. Thanks, Thanks for, for asking. asking. That was the one. Yeah. Absolutely. I like they play both sides of the ball too. Like yeah. uh, with that I'm I'm super song. It's basically how being gay isn't such a big deal. Yeah. But at the same time, they are sort of making fun of Big Gay Al, and that yeah. the fact that he's gay is basically his proudest, most identifying characteristic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like there's nothing more to him, according to him, other yeah. than he's gay. Hey, yeah. And, you know. I like that they have George Clooney in the show. In this, he actually voices the doctor in the yeah. scene where Kenny dies. And even though they use George Clooney in there, you know, they have no problem absolutely shitting on George Clooney in their TV show. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. They do not play favorites. Everybody gets a tune. Yeah. Like, I even have episodes of South Park like where they're making fun of Al Gore generally, yeah. like, yeah. making him sound like a crazy person for fighting the environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, like, the argument could be it's more about Al Gore than it is about saving the environment. But, yeah. you know, uh, it... It, it hits my politics wrong because I wish Al Gore had been president and yeah. had been able to fight for the environment. Yeah. But I appreciate that they make fun of Al Gore and George Bush, right? Yeah. They make fun of both sides of the aisle. They make fun of both sides of every issue. So I get so frustrated when people say, oh, South Park's just crude. It's just like it appeals to people's bases. Like, Maybe when you start watching the show, that's what you think it is. And honestly, maybe for the first couple of seasons, that's largely what it was before they kind of found themselves. Mm. But there's a lot to this. This is very quality satirical stuff. As far as I'm concerned, it's up there with The Daily Show. And you say that they shouldn't be compared with the great satirists. Mm. I don't know. I think that they are some of the great satirists. Oh, I'm saying they're. I, I'm not disagreeing with you on that. Uh, I just can't quite compare it to say someone like Swift. <laughs> <laughs> they're not Mark Twain. <laughs> uh, one more fun fact too. Um, yeah. If and when they make the Book of Mormon yeah. into a movie yeah. and if and when one of those songs got nominated and yeah. if and when that song won yeah. I believe Matt and Trey would EGOT they would have won an Emmy a Grammy an Oscar and a Tony mm-hmm. and there's a very there's a, there's a list of people who have done it there are people yeah. who have achieved it great luminaries like Whoopi Goldberg managed this but it's a rare achievement yeah. and to me I think it would be kind of awesome if Matt and Trey were added to that list yeah, yeah, yeah we feel that it was not only our right but our duty to go to Chicago and do what we did why did you come to Chicago? I'm here for two reasons one we're going to demonstrate against the war number two is just what it's called the festival of life they came to express themselves in peace and love. It's a groovy thing to do. We expect this to be a peaceful, nonviolent demonstration. But their voices were silenced. There'll be no march. A democratic convention is about to begin in a police state. Witness an extraordinary recreation. We are the second American revolution. Of what happened next. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury based on the infamous courtroom transcripts. Intent to incite. Did you intend to incite? It's a state of mind trial. I mean, we're being tried for our thoughts. So I'm kind of of two minds of the sort of counterculture movement that this movie talks about and the movie itself. Yeah. Because there is stuff that I really, really like about it. And there's stuff that I kind of get hung up on. Okay. Um, And that's both true about (laughs) these guys themselves and this movie. Basically, uh, this is the age of Abby Hoffman, you yes. know, and uh, Jerry Rubin and Allen Ginsberg and yeah. uh, all of their dangerous ideas. Yeah. And it's the hippie movement. It's the sort of big pop counterculture, you know, yeah. beatnik age yeah. where uh, 
the youth of the world were going to change things, and in a limited way did, at least briefly. Mm-hmm. But these same kids would grow up to become basically the mainstay Republican guard, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's telling that they weren't able to use a lot of the music that they wanted to mm-hmm. because the rights were too expensive. Yeah, It was easier for them to use the Beastie Boys. Yeah. To tell the story of rebellion, to use the to get the rights, which from is a interesting but sort of polarizing choice. It's yeah. just like, look, you you fought for all these free ideals, and yeah. then you embrace the opposite. Yeah. And, and uh, so I've always kind of been frustrated. I find them frustrating figures. Yeah. That said, I think what they went through in this trial yeah. is one of the most aggravating <laughs> things ever. The 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 transcript for the court case, anything yeah. that we see in the court is yeah. literally court transcripts. I know we and, need, but I, uh, I'm glad we're talking about this right. because one thing I do want to mention is they only did snippets of mm-hmm. the trial. You you don't get the full effect. Um, and yes, these things were done. Yes, civil liberties were were trampled upon. Yes, like it was despicable behavior, mm-hmm. unbelievable despicable behavior. They they tramped on the civil rights of all of them. Yeah. In fact, so much that the final verdict was that it was, in, in fact, a police-induced riot that they later found. I forget the name of the committee, but they, eventually all these people were freed because yeah. the sober second thought found the police was, well, well not they were inhabiting a police state. They created a police state. What's a really frustrating about it is that there's no way everybody involved couldn't know that what they were doing was corrupt they yeah. just thought that these guys were such losers that nobody would give a shit it didn't matter yeah. right they didn't like their politics so they were going to fuck with them the judge that's voiced in one of his very last performances the by late Roy great Schreider, Roy, Roy Scheider and he delivers it like it's Emperor Palpatine I know and, and that's and that's Okay, sorry. Yeah, but I, it, it it sounds like over the top and crazy, and you think, why would he deliver it that way? And then you listen to what he's fucking saying. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like this guy transparently had found these boys guilty <laughs> the second they entered his courtroom, and made no bones about it. In fact, snickered about it. He twirled his mustache. Okay, so I guess that's 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 a stylistic choice by the filmmaker. Here's here's my main criticism of the movie. Because I didn't like this movie, okay. um, but it's such a politically charged movie, especially what's kind of recently happened with the world today. This movie sort of resonates, uh, you know, this time period. But this this the filmmaker has his political heart way on his sleeve here. Mm-hmm. It is very much a leftist hero worshiping piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Abby Hoffman and all the other people, uh, including the defense lawyers, because they round out the ten. Are, are such given such hero, an heroic stance that the other side, you know, the prosecution, the judge, it is snidely whiplash, and it take it does it that kind of cartoonish performance, even though it is animated, takes away a lot of the pathos or the power of the well, story. Well, here's where I disagree. Yeah, it's the court transcript. I mean, yeah, they they but, took the worst ones they possibly could, and I yeah. will agree with that. But whether or not he was saying it like this, he yeah. fucking said it. I understand what you're saying. But to ha- have them as this sort of cartoon villain, it, it doesn't make it an engaging theater for me. It, but it, it's factual. I'm not disputing that it's factual. But we're, <laughs> exactly. but, but it's, so we're also it. getting snippets here. Like, here's the thing. Like, Abby Hoffman and all of them behaved like children yeah. in the courtroom. They were being defiant. Yeah. Absolutely. Because they thought it was bullshit and they couldn't win. And they were right. But they won in the court of public opinion, not in I'm the court not, of law. Yeah, I'm not disputing it. Yeah. But what I'm seeing here, it's the stylistic choice to show them as such evil cartoons. It, 
this is part of the problem what's going on in a lot of ways is because we're not listening to it's each white other hat, black hat you don't think they yeah, were yeah 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 well, that's such... why i started by saying i'm not 100 percent on board with abby yeah. and, and i'm not 100 percent on board with Ellen ginsburg i yeah. i agree definitely at the time if i had to pick a side i would fucking be on their side and but, i'm not uh, and i'm not disputing that i'm not disputing. i do agree that they were doing it as much for the hippie movement as yeah. it was for their own fame and, it's and, beca- and it was becoming commercialized like absolutely. these people they benefited be, from this they fame. wanted to become folk heroes and i do think that, that that's pretty obvious yes and that's fine but in the end of the day they were on the right side of the issue yeah. so I side with them and I think the movie is right too I I, well, I agree but what, I, what I'm saying here is that we've got the other side like a lot of these people like, like they did bad things but th- they're still human and they still some of them are good people you know we didn't get their side of the story where they were terrified of the changing of the guard in a lot of ways and their their whole way of life is being disrupted, and that's a, that's a very troubling thing to happen for people. And that's kind of what's kind of going on in the states right now is that both sides aren't listening to each other, and it came to this boiler point. Yeah, I, but in this case, and I agree, both sides don't listen to each other, and that causes yeah. lots of problems. Yeah. But in this side, the power dichotomy was not even close. It was a mountain versus a pebble. It was so, a, it was it was a military police state. Is what it, is what it became. Yeah. And, like, these guys wanted to do peaceful gatherings to talk about why they thought all of this war that was going on was wrong and why they didn't like being conscripted to go fight a war they didn't believe in. And I'm 100% on board. And the powers that be did everything they could, broke every rule they could to shut these guys the fuck up. And that's just factual. They get portrayed like supervillains, but I can't get on board with what they were doing, so I don't particularly feel sympathetic towards it. What's the argument? Like, they should have violated these guys' rights and put them in prison for bringing ideas across state lines? They didn't like what they were talking about. I know. I'm. I'm. I'm not. <laughs> so please I don't want the movie to become a political debate. But like. please understand, if you're going to tell this story, and Hollywood loves this story, this is about the third uh, incarnation of this particular story, uh, and even you know this is the second movie to incorporate trial transcripts. This is, this is not even the first movie to do that. But if they do this story, you know they really also have to focus on why the other side did did the things that they did. That that's that's to me the interesting story. And I think this is where this movie stops. It is so leftist. Like, like I said, it wears its heart on its sleeve that I'd be more curious now about why this side, because even the great villains, like if you think about, have such, we, we have to relate to them at some point to have like emotional connection because when they do these dastardly things, we kind of go, oh my God, I've connected with this person. But at the same time, they're doing these awful things and no one, it's really horrific. Yeah. Um, and you, and they're and they're so cartoonish. I've like, been where you are, where I'm watching a movie yeah. and I'm mad because it's not the movie that I want it to be. Yeah. But I I don't I don't know if I'm 100 percent on board here. Okay, but documentaries need to be critical of their subject. I I really I, I really do think so. The subject is the Chicago Ten. Yes. And this trial, it's not the Vietnam War. Yeah. It's not the political system that was at play at yeah. this time. It's the hippie movement, mainly, and this trial. Yes. And the storm that brewed around it. Yes. So, yes. like, you have to... I understand you got to show both sides of perspective, but you also yes. have to narrow your view. 
because if it was about the life story of all ten of these men and all of the people that prosecuted it's about, them, it, it, it is about the trial, but it's also about the events surrounding the trial and the celebrity that was grown. Uh, and um, you know, is Allen Ginsberg is he, he mm-hmm. in there? Yeah, uh, I'm doing the the Om and how it was a culture clash. I like the fact that they did mention Martin Luther King's murder, which was shortly before it, and that and that sort of you know really brought the the, the tensions up. I just wanted more of the other side, okay. and I think that needs to be a you know a, a this fair... is a counterculture movie, and I yes. think it's about the counterculture movement, and it's about how at this period of time, great steps were being taken for equal uh, equal rights, yeah. civil rights, and uh, you know people were fighting it back against things that they thought were corrupt, yeah. and it is looked back on as a heroic fight. Yeah, and the powers that be that you're sort of wanting to hear more defended here were yeah. the people actively working against it. Yeah. Okay. I don't know the why they were actively working against it. I think it's just the sort of this is the dichotomy. This is the world they grew up in, and yeah. they fear change. But yeah. I maybe that's another documentary. I think I want to get into some of the more specifics about the movie because okay. I think this is a political argument. Right? Okay. okay. I think I'm more lefty, you're more righty, and you're feeling a little butt. No, no, I'm not. I'm not righty. I'm just saying, you know, as part of the storytelling, I wanted to know a little more of why why they, why these people saw them as terrorists. Uh, because they were threatened by them, because they were getting popular, I think. Um, all of these famous people are voiced by yeah. uh, really gifted actors. You know, Dylan Baker, Hank Azaria, Nick yeah. Nolte, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Um, I do think Roy Scheider overplays his hand. I wasn't necessarily yeah. endorsing it. I was yeah. saying he delivered it like the Emperor, because if I were to read those lines, yeah. I would say whoever wrote this was really bad at writing. This guy's a cartoon villain. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's how it would read to me. Okay. Like, he seems to really be enjoying making these guys suffer. Yeah. And they seem to really be enjoying showing no respect for this court. Right? Yes. Uh, and that's not going to help them. Like, that's counterintuitive. If you wear a clown suit and show that you have no respect for the, uh, yeah. the court, they're not going to respect you back. But yeah. it was a rigged game from the beginning. The idea was to make this a big public circus to draw attention to it. Mm-hmm. And in the end, by persecuting these hippies, mm-hmm. they ended up doing more harm to themselves than to the hippies. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, it's interestingly because it's such a modernly made movie with such modern actors and like I said they brought such modern music to it yeah. that there's a strange disjunction to me mm-hmm. Hank Azaria particularly he does Abby Hoffman and Allen Ginsberg yeah. and they're fairly good at interpretations of those guys but it's very much interpretations of those guys yeah. and again when we go back to the if we're going to do a documentary mm-hmm. I think it would be more impactful if we actually had the actual footage yeah. As much as I like the rotoscoping and the cool trippy uh, yeah. animation, yeah. I think that with a subject this interesting and important, the animation just becomes distracting. Yes, I'm glad. I'm I'm happy that you're saying that. They just should have gone full blown, uh, real footage. Yeah, and that's something I'm not going to be saying about the other documentary we're going to talk about here, where I think that they used the animation to accentuate the points they were trying to make. Yeah. In this one, it just. It, it might be another dry... It, it wouldn't get as big an audience, perhaps, if it didn't yeah. have these celebrities in it, and yeah. if it didn't have the animation and the Beastie Boys and whatever. Yeah. But uh, I think it would be more authentic. Okay. I think it would feel more authentic anyway. But, yeah. I'm, I'm with the vibe of the movie. Like, I... I, I I cheer for them in the trial because yeah. I like what they're doing. Whether yeah. or not I think they're egoists, whether or not I believe in the hippie movement or respect everything about it, yeah. I respect them at this time for what they were doing. And I'm glad that this movie exists. Um, I don't think it's going to be 
really super super high on the list yeah because like i say for everything i like about it there seems to be another thing that distracts me okay i think that it could have been a really powerful movie yes and instead it's just an interesting one okay that's where i land on it all right um i guess to me it's an almost good movie um i just wanted more of the other side and why why they were doing what they're why, doing. Why were they so threatened by these yes. movies? Yeah, it's kind of what it is. It's not that my politics are more right, although um, I think we need a sobering second thought. I think, like I said, both left and right sides need to need to sort of take a step back and come together. But that's a, that's an argument for a different day. For sure. The film is such a leftist propaganda piece in a lot of ways. Oh, that, that frustrates me that you say that, but okay. Okay, but it is. It, it is. Like I said, it wears its hearts on its sleeve. Um... And I, it just needs to be a little more critical of both sides. Because this was a failure of both people. I'm, I'm not listening to each other. And I am keep coming back to this idea. I mean, they were, they had the right to protest. I agree. Like, I'm not saying what they did was wrong. Like, I'm the, saying the hippies did absolutely nothing, nothing wrong. wrong. I agree with and you. that the powers that be did absolutely everything wrong. And that that's what the film portrays. I agree with you. Please <laughs> understand that. But it wears its heart on its sleeve, and I think that's what stops me from making a great movie about a very important subject. It's just, it's just like, it reminds me of people railing against Michael Moore. It's like it's such leftist propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Moore says, here are the facts, and here's how I interpret them. And then people lose their fucking minds. Um, this isn't even that. This is, here are the facts. I agree with you that the <laughs> hippie movement, for the most part, did nothing wrong, but they weren't infallible. Infallible, uh, infallible. Yeah. but but and that's one of the criticisms that I had. I, I just think don't it, know what that scene would look like. Maybe maybe you're right. I have no idea what that scene would look like. I'm more interested in um, why the old guard got so terrified and violent. They, I I agree that what they did was wrong. I just I guess I want to know what what they were so afraid of and what they were so afraid of, and I think that, change. that that's I think that's the word change. But it's deeper than that. Anyways, okay. that, that's, I mean, that, that, that's where I land. Uh, we, we, we veered off into... <laughs> this has been more of a political debate than a review of the movie. Yeah. I think the fact that we've talked this much about it... Uh, it's an effective affecting movie. Teeth, but yeah. uh, I, I think you might not be giving them enough credit. I want to know everything. First, we find her. Then, we sleep. like to take a moment to talk about my love-hate relationship with noir <laughs> all right eh? <laughs> um i actually one day i'm going to do an episode one of the many li episode lists that i have is like pseudo noir which are movies that sort of take the gumshoe detective sort of storyline yeah. and uh sort of supplant them into different places in a way you could argue this is renaissance movie is that too uh it's set in futuristic paris where mm -hmm. everybody's constantly being monitored mm -hmm. and there's Dames and guns and conspiracies and uh, dark shadows, rainy nights. 
it's done with the interesting rotoscope effect. They did film actors, but we only get sort of thin baseline pencil sketches of them. Mm -hmm. The environments are very rich, but the characters are fairly... They're less detailed than you would be used to seeing in a feature. Well, like I think the commitment to, to really, you know, the color palette, color palette is essentially shades of black and white, which both help and hinder even the visual process. Yeah. Uh, they definitely lock into a visual style. Yes. And that, that visual style is what the movie has going for it, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. This is a movie that I could watch with the sound off. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not terrible or anything like that, but it, I think that the visuals so outweigh everything else that's going on for me. Okay. Personally. It, we have an... If you watch the English language version, he's voiced by Daniel Craig. Yeah. He gets... Uh, Playing a Muslim detective, no less. Yeah. After uh, violently uh, putting an end to a hostage situation, sort of yeah. inter introducing him in a sort of heroic fashion, he gets mixed up uh, with this... Is it Apple? Abalon? This, co this company, this yes. Huge this, com tech company, this tech company, This tech company. biologically tech company. Yeah, biological tech company. People are disappearing, and uh, yeah. you, there's all this sort of sinister things about it. Anybody who's worked for the company can never leave the company. Yeah. And uh, anybody who questions the company too uh, loudly disappears. Yeah. And uh, this is the sleeping giant that this investigation is going to awaken. Yes. Um, so, yeah. It is very much that. Uh, I remember when we talked about L.A. Confidential, you were saying how noir movies, in your mind, needed to have this aesthetic to it. Yeah. They needed to be full of smoky rooms. It needs to be constantly raining outside. Yeah. The dames need to be hot and usually bad. <laughs> and and that's the world we live in. Mm -hmm. And they subscribe to your text so completely yeah. as that it sort of feels like every noir movie I've ever seen except animated. Okay. It's beautifully animated, mm -hmm. and that does get me through the movie. But mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't find it overly memorable beyond that. Really? So much to the point that I had to like refresh myself on plot points before we started recording. Mm -hmm. Like, I know the A, B, and C of it, but like, mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to talk relatively cogently. And when I think about this movie, it's more the visual vistas than character beats or moments. Yeah, I agree. This is definitely an exercise of over style, over substance. You talked about earlier how you're very much a story and word person when it comes to film. Like that's that's where you're you're gonna fall and land. I think where you know as I've been discovering, I'm way more visual. Like an image can tell you know a thousand words sometimes, and even when visual can throw off a movie, and this movie is gorgeous to look at. That opening sequence where it's underneath Paris, basically yeah. underneath the Eiffel Tower. It's like Twenty fifty four Paris. Yeah, that whole shot stayed with me for at least half an hour of the movie. Uh, I, 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 even so, like I had to watch this movie twice. Really, um, surprise, surprise! This is the movie that surprised me the most. How much I, I enjoyed. I, I expected going in because not a lot of people did like this movie. It seems to be fifty fifty. You know, yeah. most people go like either say that. Yeah, everybody seems to agree that it looks good. I guess it's yeah. just whether or not you connect with the story or not. It makes the mundane things things that we've seen many times before. Like how many times have we seen a few a futuristic car chase mm -hmm. in an action film? Just because it was done in this style, there's an area of freshness to it, which 
I I really enjoyed. Yes, there's the, there are cliches that come out throughout the story that we've seen a million times before. Ask me how surprised I were that spoilers the young woman that he's been looking for he, he eventually turns out that there's a reason why she needs to be stopped. Yeah, no, games so. are bad in this universe. Yes, expect that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, but that's what I say. Like every rule of, applies to all of these. There's a, a huge corrupt fat gangster who hangs out in a swimming pool with a bunch of naked women, right? Yeah. There's, uh, yeah, the the dame who pulls the double cross, or or we find out her whose motivations have been not as pure as we were led to believe through the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, our detective gets rendered unconscious several times, right? Yeah. It has that fragmented narrative uh, yeah. that we tend to like in these gumshoe things, but that we've seen so familiarly that I think it's better served in a movie like The Big Lebowski than it is in a movie like Renaissance. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of diverge from you in that the, these kinds of movies need that style anymore. I think that we've seen so many of these movies of that style that I find it refreshing when they take it in a different direction. Um, doesn't always work for me. I mean, Brick, uh, that sort of high school set mm-hmm. uh, noir thriller, mm-hmm. I think is half good and half kind of silly because I just don't believe that high school students talk like this. Yeah. You know? But I liked what he was going for. Yeah. And uh, in this one, they did not reinvent the wheel at all. Like, it's future noir. Yeah. And whatever you're picturing in your head, you're absolutely right. I actually think, controversial, perhaps unpopular statement, this style of animation, by the way, Mm -hmm. is how they should have done Sin City. Okay. I mean... uh, I've, I've, I'm not as big on Sin City as most of the world seems to be. Okay. I think it's a visually amazing movie. Yeah. Uh, Brock and I talked about it in our episode, but like, yeah. uh, uh, in a way, some some worlds, some graphic novel worlds or comic book worlds, yeah. have such a specific aesthetic that they yeah. only seem to work there. Okay. When you put an actor in that role, it's sort of the Superman wearing tights thing. All yeah. of a sudden, the illusion breaks. Okay. They didn't risk breaking the illusion at all. In fact, okay. they didn't take any risks. Yeah. And I guess maybe that's it. I was waiting for that scene where the worm turned and I went, aha, now this movie's going into high gear. Yeah. And that never really happened. But I didn't... I was always looking at pretty things. I was always engaged. Yeah. But I was almost never surprised. Okay. Okay. So it, you, you had problems with the story. And... and well, it's, it's, it's again as far as noir stories go it's yeah. the A, B, and C of it works well enough but it's just such a familiar one and it's in a familiar aesthetic except mm-hmm. for the animation kind of gives us I like the baseline drawings of the characters yeah. it's kind of interesting that they spend more time with the backgrounds than they do with the foreground like yeah. the character features it's a weird weird you, know, you don't see it that often and it's strangely fascinating to watch yeah um, I, I will admit that I got totally seduced by the images. Uh, I mean, the, the whole idea of, you know, motion picture. This film sort of rem- reminded me of that whole, that word itself, that, that these are, you know, images uh, done sometimes beautifully. Yeah. Uh, there's so much of the story that's communicated just with the image with this particular film, more than it is the words and the dialogue. Yeah. Um, I never did quite figure out what was that opening dream about. I mean, it, it's visited it again. This is, I don't know that this is the answer. Yeah. This is sort of me trying to yeah. <laughs> square it in there. Yeah. Uh, I think because we're, spoilers, we're dealing with a doomed protagonist. Yes. I, I think that, like, that's how I read it. It was sort of foreshadowing, like, that 
he's got to be careful where he steps because the path that he is taking <laughs> is going to be into a bad place. Yeah. And whether or not he wins or loses, and this is classic noir too, can be argued, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's left bleeding out, fairly yeah. mortally wounded, but he is able to stop yeah. the person who set all of this in motion. Yes. Uh, I guess it's kind of the bloodiest kind of stalemate. Yes. Uh, another controversial statement, sure. but uh, I would say give this a try. They have all these uh, celebrities doing the English language track. Jonathan Price. Uh, Daniel Craig is the lead. Ian yeah. Holm. Uh, Catherine McCormick. Like, yeah. yeah. There's, She's one of the sisters, is she not? Yeah. There, there's cool people doing the voices. Generally speaking, when I watch films that are in a different language, I always say that I prefer to watch it in subtitles. If you get your hands on a DVD Blu-ray copy of this, yeah. give the French version of Haas. I don't know why, but like I, when I watched it for the second time for the mm -hmm. podcast, yeah. uh, like uh, I watched the French language track, mm -hmm. and for some reason that extra layer of distancing, I kind of gave it a, I don't know, it added something to me. The fact that they weren't speaking English and that I had to read subtitles and I had that other sort of yeah. layer back from it, another layer of artifice over the animation even. Yeah. I don't know, it, it kind of added an interesting level. Although because of the images are so starkly black and white, sometimes the text is tricky yeah. to read. Yeah, well, even, but, so, even some of the women's faces kind of get bleached out. Yeah. There's uh, so little detail on the face. Yeah. It's interesting it, how much it was, white. It was, it was. If it wasn't for the one being kidnapped and in that whole containment chamber, yeah. Once they were like you know beside themselves, there was some shots where I didn't know which person was talking. And then the environments are yeah. so like incredible, bold, and yeah. <laughs> and then the faces are just like pale. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth a look. I don't hate the movie at all, but I I I I, I want to like it. It's more. the most visually striking out of all of the movies and e even more so than the film that that's coming up that we're talking about because I do think that's a gorgeous movie mm -hmm. um, but it's the most to me the most visually striking yeah. uh, and I think that's one thing that I was like whoa um, I also will admit it, it's got that familiarity of the sort of you know feature noir which we've seen before yeah. it owes a lot to like do android dreams of electric sheep nothing they don't bring anything new to the table I think that's sort of my issue with it. It's, okay. it's not a bad. It's not a bad movie. It's just like yeah. I'd like to think. Anytime you're putting together a multi-million-dollar, you know, pretty animated feature, that you want to just at least attempt to bring some sort of wrinkle to it, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's fine. And again, visually, I like. I would say story and script C plus, uh, visual landscapes A plus, mm -hmm. right? And so the movie ends up being like a B minus overall. Maybe, yeah. Right? But check it out. Have a look at it. I think it was kind of underseen. They were uh, they released two of these animated films this year, and there hadn't been uh, movies produced to that scale and expense in a long time. Yeah. They released Renaissance and this movie Nine Ninety Nine, yeah. and neither of them particularly did that well. And uh, although I don't think either of them are amazing, I think both of them are absolutely worth watching. Yeah. Well. I, yes. Um, it, it also sort of reminded me of a film called Ghost in the Shell. Did you ever see that one? Years ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. and how just how confusing that story was. Yeah, uh, definitely one of those many Jap animation movies that I feel like some essential ingredient got lost in translation. I don't have that problem here. Okay, by the way. I think lovers of the, of this kind of film would would be all over this. Okay. All right. Anyways, um, yeah, no. I mean, I got seduced with with the visuals as well, and got and got suckered in. And it is an adult cartoon. Yeah, and I fucking like that. Yeah. This is an R-rated animated feature. Yeah. And deal with it. <laughs> yeah.
בבוקר עולה. כן, על כל ההרס הזה שעשית. ושיש לך מושג איפה אתה. וואלץ וויב בשיר. There is no more personal movie on this list than Waltz with Bashir. Okay. Ari Fullman is telling this true life story yes. of his experiences in the Israeli army during the, uh, the Lebanon conflict, yes. which sort of leads to a, well, we'll get to it, yeah. a big massacre that happens yeah. that uh, he is peripherally involved in, yeah. in that he is standing on the beach firing flares to yes. light up. What's happening? Yeah, uh, he's not killing the people, but, but he's, he's facilitating and he's the killing. Yeah, he's definitely helping the killers get away with what they're doing. And uh, he has blocked all of this out. Ari's blocked all this out. He's been having a reoccurring dream that he's being chased by dogs. Somehow yeah. he knows. I love the fact that it's a PTSD dream. <laughs> yeah, he's got a very specific. There's like was it 26 dogs? I think. Yeah, he had he, he admits to taking out. And uh, yeah, we end up finding out why why yeah. it was specifically those dogs in the yeah. course of the movie, but. It starts with him wanting to resolve this dream because obviously yeah. this PTSD wasn't really an understood thing, I think, for him at the time. I mean, yeah. he just blanked out this large portion of the early 80s where yeah. he was in the military and stuff happened. Yeah. And in order to give himself a decent night's sleep and in order to understand this gap... He starts talking to people like journalists, like some of the people that he served with mm-hmm. and some of the people affected by the conflict mm-hmm. and slowly pieces together what had happened and yeah. where, what has led him to this suffering. Yeah. The movie is absolutely gorgeous. Yes. It's, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And it sort of uses this sort of personal exploration and this dreamscape logic. It, it sort of rubs elbows a little bit with waking life in that We're not sure what is real and what is memory, what yeah. is dream and what is, you know, concrete. Yeah. And uh, in a way, the narrative cares less about that. Mm-hmm. The story is not necessarily a historical documentary. It's a personal documentary about mm-hmm. what events happened mm-hmm. to this filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of amazing. kind of amazing this movie, this movie is beautiful it's an it's an oxymoron in a lot of ways where it's one of the most beautiful beautiful um, beautiful tellings of a most awful evil story yeah. <laughs> um, and and the tragedy of this man you know finding out that he was very much a part of it yeah um, And just getting to know him, too, because while yeah. this is all going down, this happens between the ages of 19 and 22, yeah. something like that. Yeah. I, my, my numbers might be a little vague, yeah. but he's very young. And, so, and even me, having not gone through a war, I mean, yeah. if I was to specifically beat by beat my, my, my yeah. actions from that yeah. period, it would not be an easy thing to, to, to map out, yeah. let alone if it was in this horrifying quagmire. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. Uh, the fact that he chose to go the animation medium... I think it is a bold, brave choice. And once again, we get, we get some more like rotoscoping in almost in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean I, I, am I assuming he hired actors for this part? Well, there's a, there's a mix of animation. There, are, there is some just basically straight animation, but I yeah. believe there's rotoscoping as well for like the interview section yeah. and things like this. 
And uh, that's such an interesting technique because there's such a specificity to yeah. just the way somebody takes a drag off a cigarette and taps yeah. it and how everybody does that in a slightly different way. Like, yeah. it's still an animated thing. Like, they paint it over the image. But yeah. sometimes you really do help yourself by giving yourself yeah. an actor as a model and then painting over it. And yeah. it, in a way, it, I disappeared into the movie more in that... I kind of forgot about the animation at times until yeah. really fucked up shit happened. Yeah. There's that sequence where there's this gigantic naked woman swimming through the ocean. Yes. <laughs> where this sort of like weird dream sequence and uh, there's fires and lights going on in the background. But yeah. in the middle of this, he's having this peaceful erotic fantasy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it almost, that scene would almost only work as animation. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like... I don't know how else you would approach something like this, right? Yeah. Uh, and to describe it, it sounds kind of absurd. Yeah. But it's it's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I love the fact that this is also a mystery story. You know the way that he chose to tell this story and his journey and you know his journey through it, and I'm sure it was a real life mystery. It's funny you say that because I you know what, what weird movie popped into my mind while I was watching it? Yeah. Have you ever seen DOA? Yes. It's about a guy who gets poisoned, yeah. and he has 48 hours yeah. to figure out who yeah, poisoned the, him. Yeah, the remake was with Dennis Quaid, yeah. Oh, that's right. Um, anyway, like, he's not poisoned, he's not dying, but yeah. his spirit is poisoned, right? Yeah. And this movie is him trying to yeah. maybe not find a cure for it, but at least find the cause. Yes. Yeah, no. Um, this movie also got me into the work of, uh, of the composer of the film. I, I, I go in little, little, have little love affairs with certain film composers. Max Richter yeah. did this. He also did that, I think, Left Behind HBO series. Is it Left Behind? The oh. ones where the rapture has happened. And, oh, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, the Hassan's. Leftovers? Leftovers, I yeah. think. Yeah, Leftovers, thank you. He also did the score, the score for that. Everyone's all about XL Junkie right now, the big, you know, sort of, you know, film composer. Uh, you know, Junkie incorporating a lot of trance with classical. Richter is doing a lot of the same work, but is a little more classically bent mm-hmm. uh, and like a lot more somber. Like, the mu- the music in this movie is one of the mo- most gorgeous scores I've ever heard of. It definitely it contributes more than a little bit to the haunting yeah. quality of the movie. Yeah. I think this is a movie, I mean, for me personally, it stayed with me. Yeah. Like I saw it and then uh, I couldn't wait to put my hands to it. I kind of overpaid for it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, I just thought it was a movie... I, I, it sort of slipped through the cracks a little bit for me like yeah. I caught it later on yeah. and once I'd seen it I was just like everybody everybody well, please see, watch here, this movie. here's a confession um, the reason why I chose this uh, film category, this film category is I had not seen Walt with the Bashir yeah. I'd heard so many good things and I thought now, now's the reason I can you know say that I've seen it and my god this movie is beautiful um, so I'm going to skip all the way to the end okay. if that's, uh, that's okay so spoilers here <laughs> I think it was exactly the right choice. The movie had been animation all the way along, but when it came to why he was finally remembering what he was remembering, the massacre itself, it's shown in real life footage, and that the is dream s- images disappear, and, and what we see yeah. is harsh reality. Yeah, and that is so the right choice for that. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I don't care who you are, that's going to visually and just viscerally affect you. No, and it's a very deliberate, conscious thing. There's no yeah. other way, yeah. by the way. I think that that movie could end. Exactly. Um, we are getting a very beautiful uh, sort of dream logic look at all of this stuff that is horrible. And it's, in its beautiful, artistic way, sugarcoating it for us. Yeah. 
And in the last few minutes, they deny us all of that. That beautiful score you were talking about, yeah, gone. Yeah, the beautiful animation and backgrounds, gone. Gone. Yeah, we're looking at stacks of corpses. Yes, we're looking at flies chewing on people's eyes. Yeah, we're looking at the aftermath of a massacre, which yeah. our hero, yeah, was a part in of. his limited way participated yeah. in. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It and is. it's like right there in front of you, and even more powerful like the fact that this is the man who's telling us the story he's saying I did this you guys mm-hmm. I did this and it's fucked me <laughs> like and uh, I'm sure making this movie was very healing <laughs> for him mm-hmm. but um, it's interesting you were talking about in Chicago 10 you wanted to you know understand the people who were on the wrong side of the conflict well we're given that here he was just such such a small cog in the machine that he mm-hmm. had no real Understanding what he was doing beyond following orders, which yeah. is the sort of plight of any soldier in any army. But the long-term after effects, yes. physical, mental, yeah. and uh, this feeling of unworthiness. Yeah. He seems to be living a comfortable life, and he's able to travel around and talk to people, but he doesn't seem happy. He seems haunted. Yeah. And uh, the movie shows us why. Yeah. I, I think you hit the nail right on the head is, is that eventually we get this is the story of a man who was on the song of was on, was on the wrong side of of what this happened event, yeah. Yeah. yeah and how damned he is um, but he's looking for redemption yes and he doesn't know what he's looking for until you know the end uh, yeah and it is I, I hope he's found it um, and he, he's like literally shedding light on the massacre and yeah. when you think about the role he played yeah he was firing flares up into the sky to light the center of the city yeah. so that the massacre could take place. Yeah. So by bringing light to it, because it's a very underreported thing, this yeah. Christian Lebanese yeah. army massacring these people, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, difficult subject matter. And uh, they present it to you very beautifully and gently until yeah. they very suddenly rip the Band-Aid off. Yeah. But I prefer this approach honestly yeah like as much as i respect schindler's list like it absolutely devastates me like i don't mm. really want to watch that movie but i want to show people waltz with Bashir because on top of being devastating it's beautiful yes yes and uh i want more movies like this when yeah. i say i want adult animation i want this yeah other things that the because it's animated we can do there's a uh, two memorable scenes the scene where there's an 11 year old boy who mm-hmm. fires an RPG at them yeah. and they fire back and basically cut him in half with machine gun fire yeah. I don't know how you would do that in a real movie like it, legally they wouldn't allow the kid to hold a weapon like that even yeah. in make believe and they're not going to fucking show this kid get swiped in half right Yeah. but in an animated film they will show you that yeah. and the scene with the dogs yeah when he is told, and the reason that he's having the nightmare being chased by twenty six dogs, yeah. is that he's told to kill these dogs. Yeah, and he's a sniper. So they can, so they can massacre the the village. Yeah, yeah. to silence them so yeah. they won't bark, so yeah. they won't, you know, alert people of what's happening as they go yeah. through the place. And he shoots them all one at a time. Yeah, and it's it's hard to watch in the animated film, mm-hmm. but imagine if it wasn't <laughs> animated film, how fucking brutal that would be. Yeah, it uses its medium really well. I yeah. mean. I don't have anything negative to say here. No. I mean, not to spoil too much, we're talking about the best movie of yeah. by, by miles and miles and miles. <laughs> it, it really kind of is a cinematic triumph. Like, this, this, this film made me sort of weep. It was just so beautifully told. 
and so tragic. It, it, and it's once again done with the shades of black, but also like a gold hinge, which even adds to more sort of the allure visually of the film. Um, and I like our hero. Yeah, you do. In spite of everything he's done. Yeah. And in spite of, you know, like you're sympathetic towards him. Yeah. He's he's complex. Yeah. And uh, watch Waltz with Bashir. You. again yeah in uh, this animation for adults uh, please tell me what was your least favorite of these six films and why well I don't think the, the first and the last one should be really any surprise <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go on a limb and probably will at least get that one right um, but I have uh, Helen back as number six a very unfunny not all that all that visually striking I mean yes it's not bad but I found I found it the claymation had, to, had been done better right. Uh, and considering the talent involved, the, we get this sort of mess. That's what back. burns me. Yeah. That, that's what stung me the most. Yeah. I kind of expected more. Yeah. Um, so I have Helen back at, the, at, num- at uh, number six. Uh, number five, um, I have the very politically charged, uh, and sometimes visually jarring. Like, like it, it did jolt me back and forth, but it's done in that style of the 60s cartoon, um, 60s styles movie. Trippy man. Trippy man. Uh, the jump from animation to live documentary uh, footage was visually jarring what stops it for me for me from being a great movie because like I said this story's been done more than once before I think now I want to get the other side I'm not disputing that what what the establishment did was very wrong very illegal uh, and goes against the very thing that Americans like to tout them for Tell you know, bang their fist for is you know freedom of speech, because it was silenced here. I think if you're going to be doing a documentary on this, you have to get a little more examination about why the other side did what they did, because all we get is the you know the one side, and and like I said, it was a very much a worship piece. So we'll um, just have to agree to disagree on that one. Okay, (laughs) okay. Anyways, number five is Chicago Ten. Number four. Um, I have the film Renaissance. I agree with you um, that it is. It is. I want. I don't want to say a mundane story, but we've seen this story before, right. uh, and this is very much a, an exercise of style over substance. I just fell in love very much with the style. Right. So at uh, number four, I have Renaissance. Number three, the brilliant musical <laughs> that they should be playing in every Mormon church <laughs> uh, is South Park's Bigger, Longer, and, and Uncut. It really helps. This movie is funny <laughs> as balls is um, 
but the fact like there's so many songs that will be in your head uh, talking about a very I, I, the one fall of satire is usually you know they're being very critical of something that, that's something that's happening at that time so a lot of these things I think this this age this day and age some people might miss because they're just talking about that battle going on between the democratic gov- government and <laughs> people like Matt Stone and Trey Parker at the time <laughs> but South Park Bigger Longer Bigger Longer and Uncut is number three number two is the very challenging original and I and that will always get a big sort of like bump up for me. Helps. Is Richard Richard Linklater's very challenging, very beautiful, uh, very positive, very uh, you know spiritually uplifting waking life. Absolutely. Um, it's not for everybody. <laughs> it will sort of alienate some you know a, a good portion of the viewer base. I can see my father going, "This movie's terrible. What is this?" <laughs> it really is all about. The visuals. It's what the term art wankery was invented for, yes. according to some people, but I just couldn't disagree more. I think there's something special there. Okay. Anyways, I have Richard Linklater's Waking Life. And in that number one, I have the beautiful, the, the graceful, the elegant, tragic story uh, of Walt with Bashir. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a haunting, haunting film. One of the best, even if it was done, uh, you know, live action with with the actors I think it'd still be one of the best war movies ever made it's beautiful multiple share it's surprising how different we are except for the top and bottom because uh, we only agree on the top and bottom okay so there you go I guess you just know what my list is now but I'm gonna go through anyway (laughs) okay absolutely agree Helen Back is the bottom of the list Two things I will say because I feel like I've been harsh. Yeah. I do think the animation is decently executed, and it does have a few good lines and a few good moments. Yeah. Just nowhere near enough of them. Okay. And I'm so over this lib, I'm an asshole comedy thing. Like, yeah. give me someone that I can like or that I can at least relate to. Yeah. Please. Please. Because yeah. there's none of that in Hell and Back. Yeah. In fifth position, I put Renaissance, and okay. it's not because I think it's terrible or anything like that. It's just that's where it sort of ended up finding its way to the place. Yeah, I think that it's visually amazing and yeah. that it's script decent. Yeah, but I think it's an almost there movie. See, originally I had it at number two. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, I again, you can tell just by the conversation. Like, yeah. if you like animation, yeah. I say it's a safe bet. Yeah. And if you like noir, yeah, um, it's a less safe bet, but. I would say take a look. Okay. Um, fifth seems low, but it's a quality list. I yeah. Think. All the way in fourth place, Mr. Beckman, is yeah. where I put Chicago 10. And I know you're ringing this bell again and again and again. We didn't hear the other side. We didn't hear the yeah. other side. Yeah. You know what the movie's called? Chicago 10. You know what it's about? About the trial. It's Chicago 10. Yeah. They can make another movie about the system, the corrupt system that was going on around them. But this was a movie about the Chicago 10, and I think it was a good one. Okay. So there. All right. Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. In third place, and this is the real surprise of the list, because uh, I I didn't think you were going to rank Waking Life in second. I thought we were going to agree on this. All right. I personally have a lot of fucking love for Waking Life. Yeah. But because it is so tangential, and because it does feel like a series of short films more than a feature, and because it is easier to take you know 20 minutes at a time than yeah. than 100 minutes yeah. all at once i mean i understand why someone wouldn't like this movie yeah i happen to love it yes so 
please watch Waking Life if you're feeling a little esoteric or existential, you know? Yeah. Or if you're going to, if weed gets legalized and you want to think, what's something good to watch? Okay. Okay. Maybe not. No, it's very, it's a smarter movie than that. It has okay. the reputation of being a stoner movie, but yeah. it isn't. Yeah. All the way in second place. Alrighty. I'm putting the brilliant musical satire, South Park, Bigger, Longer, Uncut. I feel like I was kind of tongue-tied during the review uh, yeah. because I'm such a fanboy. It just turns into a Simpsons review where I'm like, and I like this part. Yeah, and I like this part. Yeah, yeah, And, yeah. and, and uh, so I, I wasn't speaking as cogently as I would have liked to. Yeah. But this is a movie that looks incredibly stupid, but that is quietly fucking brilliant. Yeah. And uh, I, we don't see enough satire with this level of teeth and this yeah. fearless. Yeah. And uh, I have so much respect for it. Yeah. That it could have easily been number one. Okay. But for the fact that we have Waltz with Bashir on yeah. this list, yeah. which is a beautiful, poetic, yeah. important yeah. glimpse at a piece of the world and a piece of history that and a very dark, wasn't and a, very familiar with. Yeah, and a very dark soul. Yeah, and, uh, and such a personal, brave uh, thing for this filmmaker to do. Yeah. He, uh, his follow-up film was Robin Wright at Congress, yeah. Yeah. which uh, I... I I like, but I know we're putting on the same level yeah. as this. Yeah. Um, I for those two movies, I respect uh, Ari Fullman as yeah. a filmmaker. Yeah. But because I feel I know him more personally for yeah. this movie, yeah. I kind of respect the man. Yeah. Even though I couldn't even tell you what he really looked like. Yeah. Um, I, I I think for me, why I put Waking Life at number two is that it was name another film will like it. Yeah, absolutely. It's so original. And I'm not saying that, you know, there's, there's some originality in the South Park, but it's, so the humor is so juvenile yeah. that I, you know, I, I just give more points to originality. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I love both of those movies. Yeah. And as much as I love Waking Night, yeah. I bet you if I tallied it, I will have end up watching South, South Park, Park a whole lot more. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, know. I think you're going to get, yeah, I mean, it's a different animal. It's such a different animal. Yeah, I know, and that's the, part of the beauty of this list is all these movies were so different, but they, uh, well, some had amazing stories, while others, not so much. But they were very diverse. It's interesting how we seem to crave to have a, a simple laugh over afraid yeah. of having getting our minds blown. Because yeah. uh, when done well, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love me some adult-oriented animation, and I wish there was more of it. Mm. Um, and the as world. much as we were divisive here and there, and there's ups and downs. Yeah. I think overall it was a solid list. I mean. The bitter pill that was held and back is a night of is what it is movie. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. somebody, some kids out there might like it more than us. But uh, I'm just I'm worn out of that style of humor. Mm. But uh, other than that one, I would say watch all of the movies on this list. If they if it sounded interesting to you, then it will be. You. Is there anything you'd like to say to the kids on the interwebs before we put a put to bed? Um, episode ninety of wow. rank and review. So it's been ninety episodes. <laughs> this will be episode ninety. Yes. Congratulations! Thank you, sir. I'm sure your mother would be proud. <laughs> no, it would be. <laughs> she is. Do you know something I don't? Like? <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> Nothing. Is that how you decided to tell me? <laughs> anyway, uh, you've said too much. <laughs> Right now, minds are being snapped and blown. I, I think that the world's a better place for having these majority of these films in it. Um, it's a very, very beautiful category. Go see Walt Disney Share. Go see Waking Life, uh, if anything. Seek it out, kids. Yeah.
that brings to an end episode 90 of Rankin Review. I hope you enjoyed that. I know that I did. And if you have any feedback, please send it to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. My name is Larry Parsons. I'm your host and Random Canadian. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please seek out the show on Facebook. Seek it out on iTunes. And tell that other movie fan in your life that there's this podcast called Rankin Review. And that it's waiting for you. We'll be talking to you all again for episode 91.